Welcome back, everybody. This is Eric and Matt, and this is Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit, your beacon of freedom and the American way of life. Tune in every Friday for a new episode as we dive into the world of liberty and what makes our country great. We are going to be having a chat today about hero worship. We hope that you'll join us here on this podcast, and we hope you enjoy listening, and we're going to dive into this subject. We really want life, liberty, and the pursuit to be a place where we can discuss all the things that make us tick, uh, good and bad, and all of the things that we're into. And hero worship is a subject that Matt and I were discussing recently, and we thought it might make a great uh, podcast subject. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, somewhere along the lines... um, as a country, we stopped questioning um, authority, whether it's police, whether it's military. And we're both, you know, uh, war veterans, we're combat veterans. And I'll be the first one to tell you that just because someone says that they're a veteran or is a veteran um, isn't a reason to just blindly listen to what they have to say. Um, And we're going to ruffle some feathers today um, because I have a very uh, strong opinion on, you know, whether they're veterans or police officers, um, in, in my eyes, it's still just a job. And from someone that spent a good time and a good amount of time in the sandbox, when, when we come back and when we came back in and when I came back, it was just awkward. People coming up, thanking me for my service. And in my mind, it's just a job. Like I knew what I was getting into personally. It was already post 9-11. It, you know, it happened. Um, but I signed up and that's what I signed up for. Like it was a very specific um, reason that I signed up. So don't feel personally that you have to come and thank me for doing it. It was a job that I said, Hey, you know, I feel like I'm going to go and, you know, shoot people in the face. Like that's what I did. Like we go over there and there's no reason for my opinion to have any more weight than anybody else's. I think it's important to kind of look in, into the underlying facets of, of what makes that what it is, though, right? I mean, it's fair to acknowledge that our country is very patriotic, and there's so many people here that love our service members, and they always want to show their appreciation, and I certainly don't see anything wrong with that. I think the hero worship axiom that we that we sort of discussed comes down to a blind following for someone Indeed, uh, yes. based on certain qualifications, whether they're perceived or they're legitimate. The same thing can also be said for the professional veteran, right? I mean, the, I could even be considered as being guilty of that, right? I mean, when we initially first um, started our YouTube channel, I chose Iraq Veteran 8888 as my username because at the point in my life, that's what I felt was like my most, I guess my largest accomplishment was going over there or whatever. But now, as I've gotten older, and it's been quite a few years since you know we were there, you know, you kind of think, is that really me anymore? Right? It, was I trying to make a big deal about it, or was it just the one thing that I felt like I had made a, a major accomplishment with in my life? So, you know, I can see both sides of the equation, right? You know, there's lots of folks that are guilty of the whole professional veteran type of thing and trying to use their veteran status in a way that somehow. Um, over glorifies their qualifications or whatever. Uh, and, and I get it. Like, we're all guilty of it. I mean, we've all been in situations before where, you know, obviously being a veteran may benefit you in some way in business or in relationships or whatever, right? So that's normal. Uh, it's, it's okay for that to happen. I mean, it's, it's all right for people to be, uh, you know, proud of what they've done and proud of the work that they've done. And and I think it's worth mentioning, too, that a lot of people within the veteran community, there's a lot of different veterans out there, right? I mean, you've got the the veterans that, you know, did six tours and in a, in a, in a very uh, a major combat MOS, or, right. you know, they were a Navy SEAL or a Tier 1 operator and, and did six or seven tours. I mean, yeah, those guys are going to have a very different perspective than a guy that was deployed for a year with a guard unit. Now, those are two very different things. Right. Uh, there's a lot of the the same um, human side of things and how you deal with being in a war zone, regardless of whether you deploy with a reserve unit, a guard unit, or if you're full-time military and it's your 10th deployment or whatever, right? So there's a lot of that. I think for me personally, the hero worship, uh, when I think of hero worship, I think of people that blindly follow the police Agreed. probably the most out of out of all of them. I mean, look, I love like EMTs, 
firemen, like I'm guilty of hero worship when it comes to those guys because those guys put themselves in harm's way and they deal with a lot of the bullcrap that society doesn't want to deal with, right? If there's a house burning down, you don't go, well, let me go grab a bucket of water and go put out this house. No, you call the fire department and you call the people who are designated to deal with society's bullcrap that they don't want to do. And I think that it takes a very special person to put their life on the line in many, many different ways for their fellow man. And I think that's that's worth acknowledging as a positive thing. And it does take a special person. That. I, I, it does. And I think there's a fine line between what you mentioned. You said, um, you know, firefighters and EMTs. Um, the differences between those occupations and, say, a police officer is that they're not enforcing laws. So it's okay to me to say, okay, well, you chose a noble profession as a firefighter because you nobody chooses to be a firefighter because they is just a job because you're literally running into a danger into a fire um and you're and you're not doing it uh to enforce any type of laws it's because you genuinely care for people and you want to save them um and i agree with you police officers are probably on the the higher end of what i'm referring to when i say hero worship because police officers will they don't really in my opinion and from what i've experienced you don't, it's not, it doesn't require a law degree. So yes, there's certain uh, classes and there's certain degrees you can take uh, that help you along the way. But when you're enforcing those laws, when you enforce laws, uh, you have to understand and interpret it a certain way. So if your job is to be a law enforcement officer, you're just enforcing those laws that are given to you. They said, hey, officer so-and-so, we just passed a new state law or local law that says you have to do this. Well, where where is that line that officer can draw where they say, well, that's unconstitutional and I'm not going to enforce that? Do they have that choice? They well, don't. I do feel that it's worth mentioning in this podcast that you know there is a such thing as officer discretion, and there are a lot of officers that might look at a certain law within the jurisdiction that they uh, preside in and then, and they go, you know what, this is bullcrap, and I'm just going to turn a blind eye to this particular idea. Uh, a recent development is obviously all the stuff going on in Virginia with all the 2A sanctuary counties and many sheriffs putting literally their job and image and everything on the line to say, look, we are not going to enforce unconstitutional gun laws. Um, now, whether that's a political play where they're just saying, hey, I'm going to scratch the itch and basically just you know show solidarity with gun owners because they want to get reelected, or if it's, hey, I'm literally drawing this line in the sand and we are not going to accept any unconstitutional laws, we're not going to enforce them. You can pass them all you want, but we're not going to enforce it. Whether or not that will actually happen um, is hard to say, but I will say, though, that you know recently in Virginia they put uh, pay raises for a lot of the sheriffs up uh, to a vote, and they actually voted to not give a lot of the Virginia employees, especially in the law enforcement realm, pay raises. Well, that's so they voted against their pay raise. And a lot of the Democrats up there were bragging about, oh, well, when you don't enforce our laws, you don't get pay raises. So there's a fiscal reaction to this whole thing, right? When law enforcement, ultimately, they get involved in a job, and it's a job, right? And I know a lot of police officers, some of which are no longer policemen, some of which are still serving, and they are all great guys, and I don't doubt for one second that if I needed help or if I was in trouble that they wouldn't risk their life to help me. I know that. And I've ran, and I know that there's probably some law enforcement officers that are listening to our podcast. I've ran into a lot of these guys out on the road. Now, let's think about it. When you get involved in an altercation with a police officer, it's usually because you've done something that requires them to need to talk to you, whether it's something as simple as speeding or let's say your taillight's out. But one way or the other, as society, we're programmed to think that a uh, interaction with a police officer, a law enforcement officer, is going to be a negative experience because, let's face it, if you're talking to him, chances are it's not because you just want to chat about the weather. Right. You know, some, something's happened, right? So I believe that society, we are somewhat conditioned to look at law enforcement as the last people that we want to see, right? If, if someone delivers a, a bouquet of flowers to your address, everyone's happy to see the flowery, uh, flower delivery man. Everybody's happy to see, you know, the guy that delivers a box of chocolates or a carnation or something, right? No one's happy when the police show up. 
And I believe that that's a negative stigma that it, it just results from, you know, I believe that people people really do want to do the right thing. And it's like when you do get into a situation where the law enforcement has to get involved, it's like you realize you screwed up and you don't want to suffer the consequences. We're all guilty of it, right? How many times have we been pulled over by the police and go, yeah, I know I was speeding, but it's, it's bull crap. Like, it's driving fast shouldn't be a big deal anyway so like the sort of libertarian minded you know sort of mindset that i have i don't consider myself to be a libertarian from the truest sense of that party right i, I always engage in in what i'd like to just consider non non-party politics like the way that i look at the world is my unique perspective and it's just the way i feel and i don't necessarily go to one party or the other i think that perspective and that conditioning as a society the whole hero worship society that America, in a lot of ways, is sort of built on, uh, can go in a lot of different directions. Yeah, I, I, that's an interesting view. Um, and I, I somewhat agree. Uh, I would say that somewhere along the lines, you know, your, your police, um, you know, are currently more like, um, I would say like an organized group. Uh, they have, they have the whole back the blue and, you know, we have the, you have all these instances of bad apples and it only takes a few bad apples to spoil the bunch. And there is a ton of great police officers, guys. We have both Eric and I, we know a lot of police officers. We have family that are police officers, uh, first responders, military. Um, but the reason that Eric, uh, you know, I guess to agree with what Eric said, that interaction we've been almost trained on is that like we don't like that interaction with police officers is because of the few bad apples that made that an unpleasant experience. Uh, when I was growing up, you had your, your local police department and they, they would stop in. Like my family had a business. They would stop in just to say hi. They knew who we were. They had their, they had their um, like I guess I call it a beat. Um, they knew the business owners. They'd, they'd pop in. Um, you know, honestly, I'll give you a great example. Uh, you know, at my shop, I was printing late one night. I, I promise you, it was about 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning. I think it was during the Christmas rush. We were really trying to get these orders out. And we were, you know, it printing away. And we had our back door open on the shop. And up comes a local police department. He comes up. He shines the flashlight in there. He goes, hey, guys, just wanted to check to make sure everything's good. Sometimes people forget to close the door. Uh, and we just wanted to make sure somebody was here. That was, you know, you didn't just leave your, your, um, you know, your bay door open. I was like, no, thanks. You know, we're just, you know, burning the midnight oil We're we're printing. And that was great. That's like your local policing. That's doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. And it really made us feel good. Um, and then you have the opposite of the spectrum where there's still bad apples. I know bad apples in that police department that, you know, they wouldn't stop. They would just keep driving regardless of what was going on inside. Um, but I also want to, touch on the fact that police are not obligated to help. And I think that's kind of where you get that negative, um, that negative outlook on it. And, you know, yes, police will do, they'll, they'll be the first ones to enforce the law, but you also see that when they're needed most, um, they don't enforce the law. And that you've seen that in uh, Ferguson, you've seen it in LA during the riots where they just, you know, watch from afar um, you know, um, in Louisiana, when the hurricane hit, when Katrina hit, uh, when it first started, like the people that needed them most, they didn't really get the help. And they're very quick to react to, to crime. But when you need actual help, you, you've seen it fail. And I'm not calling out anybody, any police department particularly, but when you see that on a national level in different areas of the country, um, it, gives people the wrong idea and they you know all the police in LA were routed to Beverly Hills to only protect you know the rich part of the city while the actual businesses in downtown LA burned to the ground so well except the Korean grocery store oh yes they <laughs> they handled their own uh, let me tell you um but I mean when you start looking at hero worship and they're like oh back the blue and don't question everything this country was built on asking questions and questioning authority. I mean, think about it. The one question that stirred the whole pot was, why are we paying taxes? 
why are we paying forced to being paid tax on tea? We don't even drink tea in this country, man. This is not what we do, but we're being forced to import it. We're being forced to pay taxes on it. We're getting taxed without representation. It literally started the revolution. So, and now we've somehow become this country that believes that asking questions is bad. You don't, don't ask questions to anybody. If a police officer pulls you over, don't ask like, why just grit and grin. And, you know, maybe he'll give you a warning, you know, no, this is not the way like question, ask why, why did you pull me over or ask like question authority? There's nothing wrong with it. We were built around questioning authority. It's healthy. Um, I think it's unhealthy when you don't question and you just fall in line and allow yourself to be subjugated. You know, that's a really great perspective. And I I was going to mention that, you know, law enforcement as a job takes me as, all right, you're expected to have the courage of an 18-year-old Marine and the strength of an 18-year-old Marine. You're expected to have the personality of the local bartender. (laughs) You're expected to have the mental capacity of a lawyer with a you know fancy law degree, and then they want to pay you $39,000 a year. Right. Okay, so I get that their job is difficult, and a lot of their ROI in terms of, uh, or the rules of engagement in terms of how they deal with certain situations are not that much different than a shoot that a civilian would make, right? They're bound by the same exact type of uh, laws and rules when it comes to shoot or don't shoot as we are, Right. You know, and there's a lot of situations where I know a lot of people mistrust the police because they see all these shootings. And then, of course, the anti-gunners use the shooting data from all the police and they add it in with all the gangbangers shooting up each other. And then they try to spin it in a narrative to manipulate the data in a way that makes it look like firearms are a much bigger problem than they really are. When when and when you take when you take, uh, you know, gang on gang violence and you take uh, police related shootings and suicides out of the equation, firearms simply do not back up the data and ideas that these anti-gunners put forth. And um, I feel like that's important to, to mention quickly in this video. I know that's, that's a little bit off the subject, but uh, the, the antis definitely try to use that data against us. And police, of course, are partially responsible for that data. But... The one thing to remember, I believe, is that they want to go home to their family just like you or I would want to. That's their goal. Remember that. When you are in an altercation or or any dealings with a police officer, remember that they want to go home to their family just like you do, and they are going to do whatever is necessary for that to occur. So that means if you want to check that box that day, they're probably going to check that box. You know, there's a way to not get into any dealings with a police officer. Just don't do anything dumb. And it won't happen. But, you know, as society, it's, I feel like we we tend to think, oh, well, that'll never happen to me. Like, you know, my kid will never get shot by a police officer or my kid will never be in, in, in some type of an issue. Well, if your kid does something stupid, he will. Right. So there, there's always the chance that if you become uh, an instrument of a criminal institution or if, you're, or if you do something stupid, you deprive someone of their liberty or property or try to, you know, take their life or, or worse or anything, um, then, yeah, you're going to get dealt with by somebody, right? And I believe that our society also, they've tried to stoke this fear that guns are a huge problem in this country. But what they don't realize is, think about all the people that actually call the cops on other people, right? It's usually folks in the cities, you know, something's going on, they call the cop on their neighbor or they heard a noise and they want to be nosy and they and they call the cops. Well, think about the people that actually call those police. All right, say there's some problem. You heard someone try to kick in your door and you're going to call the police. Okay, fine. You don't want to deal with that situation yourself and you call the police. All right, all good and fine. But what do the cops have? Guns. Right. So you're calling someone with a gun. So For society to say that guns are a big issue and that, oh, well, nobody should have guns. Well, that's not true. You want your cops to have guns. You want your military to have guns. You want, you know, if you're a politician, you want your your guards to have guns. So it's not that you're against guns. You just don't feel that you're responsible enough to own one. So by default, no one else should own one either. So I think there's sort of like that reverse psychology that people put. When you're anti-gun, you actually 
it's not that you're against people having guns. You're just against yourself having a gun. So by definition, no one else should have one either. And I didn't want this video to turn into that, but I feel like it's involved in hero worship, right? Because it's, it's always the whole good guy with a gun argument. Well, a good guy with a gun can be anybody. It can be your neighbor. It can be um, like Jack Wilson there at the church right, that, that yeah. shot the bad guy that was trying to, you know, hurt all the people in the church. You know, what? what is a world without Jack Wilson's in it? So, you know, what? what's a world without Ruth Koreans? Right. No, I, I agree. And, you, you know, when, it, when you start digging into it, um, they, the two go hand in hand, you know, as far as uh, hero worship, because when you mention that, oh, if you're depending on the police to have guns and you don't, then you're, you're not a free state. You're a police state. If you take all the firearms away from the the free people and only police have guns, then that's officially a police state because they have firearms and you do not. Free state, everybody has firearms. You can. You're, it's your responsibility to defend yourself. Well, it's like all the stuff going on in Hong Kong. Yeah. I mean, only the police have guns, and you got yep. guys out there with archery equipment and batons and pepper spray. And well, they, the, in Hong Kong, um, they don't, even the police don't normally carry uh, guns. It's, it's pepper spray. They just, I mean, it was a big deal when they, brought, when they brought out the guns, but the fact of the matter is is that they have the ability to do that, and the civilians or the local populace do not. And what, they want that ability, though. Oh, yeah, they do. And what a lot of people don't know is that there's actually, uh, in the middle of Hong Kong, there's a giant military barracks. And inside that military barracks, there is a battalion of PLA. So there's actually mainland Chinese uh, military inside of that barracks. They can never leave the barracks. They stay within the confines of those barracks, but they are in Hong Kong. That's where they're stationed. Um, so... People are like, oh, they're, they're mainland China's outside of Hong Kong. Uh, outside of Hong Kong, they are, but there's also a battalion inside of Hong Kong that's stationed there. You just don't see them. Um, so they have, they still have that military hand in there. They do, but here, worship. We'll jump back on. Yeah, to, yeah, no, to you're right. Though and, it's the same yeah. type of thing. I mean, okay, and and I know this is a tough subject for some people, but I'll, I'll just kind of briefly mention this. You look at Nazi Germany, right? You look at all the things that happened under that regime, right? And, you know, those men were just following orders, right? So you get a group of people together, no matter what they might be, okay? It, it could be as simple as a high school sports team, okay? You put all those high school sports uh, players in the same jersey, right? You put them in a uniform, a jersey, you know, they all look the same. If it's a marching band, everybody's got their matching uniform, when you get everyone in that uniform, it creates like a collective authority that they feel like they have. In a sports team, that's super healthy because you want to be competitive with the other sports teams. So what happens? You get on the field, and it's all the guys that are wearing your colors, and then it's all those guys wearing their colors. And it creates this division, not only just by the way you look, but it creates this mob mentality with your people, right? And when you get all of these people in one place, right, you get – Let's just say all the law enforcement in a position there, you know, what's to say that if something really heinous and bad happened in this country, that they wouldn't pull together and look out for number one and all of this. Oh, well, we're not going to enforce this or enforce that. Now, all of a sudden goes out the window because they have that perceived sort of superiority that we have sort of given them right by this hero worship, by this back the blue and all of this stuff. You know, yeah, it's cool to back the blue because, yeah, they do a great job, and, and a lot of them are good people, and sure, they're, they're great human beings. But what happens when that turns into a boot on your neck? You know, right. oh, you're just doing your job, and it turns into, oh, just doing my job, oh, just following orders. That's where the scary thing is. Okay, so yeah, right now, like in Virginia, the orders are, yeah, we're to a sanctuary county, and we're not going to enforce unconstitutional gun laws. But what happens when... You know, you no longer get a paycheck. Right. That's when huge. society falls apart, and then as now it's like you've still got that system in place where you know every guys in a uniform, quote unquote. So, what happens when now the norm is well, we have to do this, or our family won't eat. The question is, when things get bad enough, do we pull together as society and we help people no matter what, and no matter who they are, which I think is what most good people will do. Or is this division created where now there's this elite, you know, quote unquote, elite group of people who are the designated 
uh, enforcers of everything this new world will have in it if something goes bad. Yeah, and I think that that reminded me of a really good um, thought that I had previously when you said, you know, as far as what's going to happen in Virginia when they stop getting paid, um, it's it's very simple. Um, I, as good intentioned as a police officer or sheriff's deputy is uh, in Virginia, when you have a mortgage payment and you have tuition payments for your kids and you have car payments and you have bills, um, guys, they're going to do what they have to do. And very few people would actually defy that. And they would just quit. If that was the case, they would quit. But I think that you'll see if it gets to that point, you're going to see a lot of a lot of guys roll over. Um, because there's a reason that Virginia did the whole no pay raises, they're sending them a message. They said, Hey, we could have given you guys a pay raise, but we're not. Because we want we want you guys to understand that we're holding the leash. Um, and it's dangerous. It is, and look what happened when they're uh, when they were at the town hall meeting. They the senators and uh, the local um, the local guys were listening to them for exactly six minutes. They said, "Hey, you guys have six minutes to tell us what you want to tell us," and they were watching their watches the entire time. And as soon as it hit six minutes, they said, "All right, get out, or you're trespassing." And you would think that's a that's a town hall. It's a public place. The taxpayers paid for that building. They own that building. You have the right to assemble. Yeah, exactly. freedom of assembly, First Amendment rights. Um, you know, in full effect. Police came in. You're all trespassing. Get out, or you're going to get arrested. Yep, that's absolutely crazy to me. And I would like to think that you know, if there were some horrible situation where, let's just say, a certain amount of the police officers up there got laid off, or let's just say it got so bad that they said, "Oh, we're going to withhold funding or else or whatever," and let's just say some police go, "All right, putting the badge on the table and the gun. Here you go. I'm out." I really do hope that a lot of companies in Virginia would step up and go, "Hey, if you're in law enforcement and you quit your job because of these bullcrap uh, anti-gun laws." We're going to hire you, and we're going to hire you at at least what you were making, if not a little more. I hope that the companies will step up and take care of the people that do defect uh, as a good show of solidarity that we're there for each other, right? Because at the end of the day, if someone commits a professional suicide, okay, especially in the name of our rights and especially in the name of something as sacred as the Second Amendment, I really do feel that the companies would come out and be like, look, we're going to support these guys because they did the right thing. And I get it. Like, you know, you got it. You got a mortgage. You've got a family. You've got to you know, put bread on the table. I get it. You, you know, it, it's tough. Um, I feel that the that the hero worship thing, you know, especially post 9-11, it was huge, right? You know, there was this just huge swell of patriotism that really swept people after the towers came down. And folks were sort of banded together. And whether or not anyone agrees as to why we were there, you know, why we were really there, if we belong there, all of that's irrelevant. I think at the end of the day, you go because you want to protect the person to your left and right, and you ultimately just feel a fierce patriotism. And I feel that patriotism that oftentimes is used against us, right? You know, we have a soft spot for our country. We love our country. We love the way we live, and we want to protect it, even if the 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 view of that protection may not really be the correct thing or the right thing to do within the purview of the entire world stage. You still do what you feel like you need to do, and that's really tough, right? Um, and getting back to, I guess, the whole veteran thing. I mean, yeah, when when folks come up to you in public and and they you know say thank you for your service, I. I you know, I oblige them. I, you know, say thank you or whatever, and that's all cool and everything. But I don't like go around and try to make a big deal about it. And like on the YouTube channel, I've, I mean, yeah, the name of the channel, Iraq Veteran Eighty Eight. I mean, I hope that people don't take that as like a condescending thing that I'm trying to be condescending about. For me, it's always just been like at the time that I created the channel, which has been like almost 14 years in the running now, or 13 years in the running. So we've been doing it a long time. That was like the biggest contribution that I felt I had made at that point in the biggest um, accomplishment. Now, I don't necessarily feel that way now, but at the time, you know, I felt that that was the biggest contribution that I'd made to society, right? So 
Of course, it was natural for me to choose that username, but never in the light of how we make our YouTube videos have I ever felt like, oh, I'm going to like make some grossly you know, large claim uh, to my qualifications or something. I've never right. looked at it as a qualification. I just looked at it like, well, that's just what I did, and people can just take that for what they will. But, you know, I've never gone around saying, I did this and I did that. No, because it's just a job. You don't think about it like that. I feel most military guys don't think about it that way. Yeah, and, you know, it is, like, that's how I felt. I said it was, uh, it's just a job. It's a great job. When And I think that when you first leave the military, that is the peak of your accomplishments in life. I was super, super proud that, it's like, man, I, you know, got to go to combat. I got to be go to combat as an infantryman. I got to experience all this stuff. And... You know, that's it. Like, oh, we're we're veterans and we're, you know, super stoked about it. Right. And it's then that mob mentality yeah. that you're part of this club, you know, and exactly. It, and it can jade you. Right. It can it can put in your mind this situation that you're invincible and um, it, we're all guilty of it. Right. And especially because it takes so much time and work to get there, you know, like it's not easy to get through basic. It's not easy to train up. It's not easy to be part of a unit where you've got lots of different people and you may not like everybody, you may not agree with everybody, but you have to be in a situation where everyone looks at it from a project related standpoint and getting the job done. And when you come back out of it, you, you kind of have that feeling that, you know, Everybody that wears this uniform, I'm going to be able to get along with them no matter what we think as people because I can look past that and I'm not yellow or brown or white or whatever. I'm green. Right. And, and it, it's very much the same way. Just like the police say, oh, I'm blue. Back to blue. I'm green. Back to, Like we think, you know, when you're green, you're green and you become part of the machine. But that also, therein lies the problem with police and civilians because – you know, from personal experience, what I've seen is um, police will always take care of themselves and their people. Now, that's not necessarily an issue when you're in the military, because when you're in the military, you are uh, in that you're in that community. You're only around other military people for the most part. You live with them 24-7. You see them every day. So, yes, that that camaraderie is it's good. However, you take that concept and put it into policing and then you have a group of uh, individuals policing a, the civilian aspect of the civilian world, but they also back the blue for themselves. And you've seen it. You'll Especially see- with the militar- militarization of the police force. Too. Right. You know, them having, you know, whatever, you know, society as a whole goes, Oh, well who needs an AR 15 or who needs this or who, who needs that. But all the while, Police have patrol rifles. I mean, come on. I'm not saying police shouldn't have patrol rifles or patrol shotguns or whatever, but if we're going to arm the police, then why shouldn't society be armed the same way? Exactly. Society should 110% have the same teeth of the police, if not more. Society should have the teeth that the military has because it's important that we all stand toe-to-toe, not only in the case of a tyrannical government trying to, you know, remove our way of life or our existence, our very existence. But in case there's a situation where us as a country, you know, we're attacked or we're invaded or something, it's important for the civilians to be able to stand up and go, you know what, all this blue, all this green, all this, you know what, all that's irrelevant now. We're one country and we're going to stand up together and we're going to fight these people that are attacking us. And I feel like that's very important for our national security is for us to be a nation of riflemen, 100%. Yep. And I, I think that we're leaning more towards the tyrannical government aspect of it right now. Uh, I think every other country in the world knows uh, that we have uh, some big teeth. Um, so the whole Red Dawn aspect uh, idea probably isn't going to happen, but the tyrannical government is happening right now. Uh, and it's very important that, you know, we all make sure that we understand that you don't, you don't give those rights up because once they're gone, they're gone and you'll never get them back. Um, and, yeah, and, and I certainly would never say, you know, hey, don't back the blue or don't appreciate military uh, service for, for veterans or whatever. Or I wouldn't even say if you run a company 
to not run it on the basis of, hey, we're a veteran-owned company because we do the same thing. Ballistic Inc. is veteran-owned, Iraq Veteran, 8888 as a, a company and obviously, production company obviously yeah. is veteran-owned. So it's not a problem to let people know, yeah, I'm a veteran, cool. But I think it's important for us to look at the totality of our republic and the totality of our freedom and, and rights in a way that – you know, it shouldn't be a party issue. It shouldn't be a politics thing. It should, you know, gun rights should not be political. Gun ownership should not be a political bargaining chip. It shouldn't be Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, left, right, all of this. It really is about the people and their happiness. And that, that's really what I always wanted this podcast to be about. It's just I legitimately just care about everyone's happiness. I want everyone to be happy. I want everybody to have what they want. Because I know what I want in life, right? I know that I just want to live free and do what I want and, and be happy. And I want to own machine guns and, right? <laughs> and suppressors. And, I, you know, I like, I like going out and having fun with guns and everything. But I also want my guns in case things get bad. And I want to be able to protect my country and my family if I have to and each other. And if there's some horrible situation happening – and there's someone who's being hurt that I can help, I'm not about to stop and ask if they're Democrat or Republican or what religion they are or if they are gay or not or any of that. I don't care. To me, an American is an American. And they're my brother and my sister no matter who they are. And I think as a society, we've lost, we've lost our national identity. And our national identity is a boiling pot. We are a kettle of many different cultures a sort of multicultural country. And I, I do respect and understand that. But I think our identity is in our flexibility and, and our, you know, ability to care about each other. And I feel like that's getting pushed by the wayside uh, a lot. And I feel that hero worship is a, is a tiny sort of microcosm of that division. Yeah. And uh, I think that that's where we kind of fall short is we, we used to all look at it like we're Americans. Um, there's no back the blue. There's no veterans. Yes, there's always been veterans. There's always been police officers. But we had a national identity. We were Americans. And then somewhere along the lines, as time went on, that kind of got divvied up. And it started you know, getting segregated and, and you know, separated into different cliques and different groups. Well, we need to come back together and, and say, hey, and that's how I feel is it's we're Americans. So let's look out for each other like we're Americans. And, and the hero worship thing, yes, we both, both of our companies identify as veteran-owned companies, but that's not because we're looking for handouts. That's because we want to set the expectation that when people go and visit the website, they can expect a certain level of service because of what we've been through. Um, being in the military, it does tend to make you a little bit more organized. You have a little bit more grit. Um, you're able to overcome a little bit more when the times get, uh, you know, when pressure's on. So that, for, as a company, that's why we put it up there. We want, you know, anybody to understand that, you know, if you have that, you know, rush order, that last minute order, or if we say that we're going to do something as a company, it's going to get done. It's not to panhandle and say, oh, please do business with us because we're a veteran-owned company. Um, I don't think that, you know, that's a way that any veteran company should, you know, present themselves. And, that, and most of them, that's not the purpose. I believe no. that most of them are in line with how what we had planned is to just set that expectation that, you know, we're going to do what we say we're going to do. Um, but as far as, you know, hero worship on the military side, um, I it's right now it's kind of going down the road and I hope that it changes is that right now it's almost becoming like this victim mentality. Um, and, you know, I don't want to I ruffle the wrong feathers, but yes, you know, you've been to combat, but that most certainly doesn't mean that you're broken. You know, everybody's experienced a lot of stuff that, you know, when we go over there, and it's, I guess it's how you uh, overcome that. And there's ways that we can all help each other. And there's a lot of good organizations out there. Um, don't let yourself fall into this victim mentality. And then you, you start to see some um, some veterans go down that road of, well, I'm going to play up to it. And, you know, most certainly that's not the, not the idea that we want uh, as an organization or as, you know, a segment of veterans. So, you know, what I see on social media is, oh, you know, so-and-so is a veteran, so that makes them qualified to do this. Like, not necessarily. And you just touched on it. You don't, you know, as yourself, you've never used that your experience as a qualification for what you're doing now. Um, so 
I would just encourage people to say, hey, look at who you're following and you be the judge on what you want to do. You know, that's a that's a really, really great idea that you mentioned there. You know, um, it, it, it is it does not make you a broken person. It also doesn't make you overly qualified or anything like that. But I think also the way that I've always looked at it is I never wanted to go. All right. Well, I went on a deployment. Now I can just hang my hat up as being, a you know, the man's man. No, it's not that. I feel like I've I've tried to keep expanding my knowledge and learning more. And I try to continue to learn more. And I would never look at military experience or deployment or something as the end all do all. Oh, well, I checked that bo- the man box now. And, and right. now I don't have to further myself anymore as a man. No. I mean, I feel like it's important to develop your yourself, you know. And, and I think it's healthy also to integrate back into civilian society by choosing to further yourself more and to become a better person and and to try your best to, you know, yeah, share what you can with people. I mean, we've always tried to just share what we can uh, on the YouTube channel. I may not know everything. I may not even be the most qualified to talk about everything, but I just try to be honest about that, right? (laughs) you know, and and that's completely okay. And also, if there's veterans listening or even police, EMT, firemen, whatever, uh, just know that I know your job isn't easy. Not at and all. And especially with the military personnel, I know there's a lot of folks that are coming back from deployments. And uh, I talk regularly with a lot of our viewers that have been following me since middle school. And now these folks are going into the military. They're going to combat. And it's really humbling for me to hear from these young people who was like, yeah, you know, I was listening to you and Barry when I was in middle school. And now I'm, I'm going on my first deployment. And it's – uh. It's a little weird to look at it that way because it's like these young people are now becoming adults and they're going out in the world and they're uh, doing great things, making mistakes too. We all learn from our mistakes. But uh, just know that we support you and what you do. And and just look out for the people to your left and right. And, and ultimately, as long as you do that, everything else will fall into place no matter how much sense it may or may not make to you. Uh, that's the thing is we, we've got to stay stick together and look after each other no matter who they are. And um, I know a lot of our first responders put in a heck of a lot of work. Brandy right now, she's in school uh, for the whole EMT thing. Uh, she just passed her, her first batch of classes with, I think, like a 92 or 93 average. So Very she nice. did really good with that. And she's not going to be an EMT. She just wants the knowledge. So I think that's important, too. If you have the means and can take classes and, and learn a little more. Uh, I know Skinny Medic, uh, Dietrich up there. Um, he does some great classes for you know um, all different types of stuff in the in the medical preparedness world. That certainly is not a bad idea to get a little bit of extra training can never hurt. And I'll admit, people get into where they rest on their laurels. Okay, whether you've had schooling or whether you're a military veteran or whether you've had some police training or even firemen or EMT training, it's easy to rest on our laurels and go, "Yep, I'm a I'm a you know." awesome guy because of this reason but it's important to polish those skills practice those skills and enhance those skills that hat you know that never has an expiration date my grandpa taught me that the day that you stop learning is the day that you're ready to die you you never ever ever stop learning always look for more experiences life is such a unique opportunity that we have for every single day to be a learning experience and the minute it doesn't become that and it becomes stale and boring, then what does it matter what you've ever accomplished? What does it matter of that combat deployment you were on 15 years ago or that police detail you remember from 20 years ago that was was sketchy? What does all of that matter if you're not like continuing to further yourself as an individual? Very powerful, very powerful statement. Um, Your grandfather was was a smart guy. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. Well, it's not ha-ha funny, but funny in, in sort of a reminiscent sort of way. But Pops was working on a birdhouse two days before he passed away. Hmm. Still so, going at it. Yeah. He, he, was, he would get up, have his coffee, and my Pops was 94 years old when he passed away. So, um, let's see. He's been gone, oh, gosh, eight years now. So, I guess this year he'd be about 103, wow. 102. So Pops was certainly an interesting individual and the kind of guy that, um, you know, never rests on his laurels. He would always get up and work hard and always found something really fun and, uh, and entertaining to do. And he always kept his mind busy. A busy mind equates to a long life. You don't ever want 
your mind to go unnourished. You always want to feed that brain lots of new things. Right. On the subject of uh, grandfathers, uh, just you know, reminded me of my grandfather. I think he uh, passed away in his uh, late nine or early nineties. Uh, Navy veteran uh, during World War II. He was uh, spent time in the engine room of a battleship. Um, you know, come from a military family, so my uncles and all that were in the military as well. Um, one of his good friends, um, which is my uncle's fa- father-in-law, um, is he was on the uh, D-Day invasion for Normandy. Um, so, I mean, I definitely want to uh, chat with him, and maybe we can have some really, really good uh, podcast conversation with him, just getting that take and really kind of just work. Because I'm super uh curious about that because as combat guys we always look to the previous generation as they were there and uh, even when we were deployed i was like man the guys before us had it so much harder um so i always looked back and when you look back at how they handled things it was just it's a different next level man you know it's so interesting to look at that paradigm right because as as a combat veteran I look at it like, man, those guys in Nam really had it rough. Yeah, man. Or I look at it like, man, those guys in Korea, World War II, man, those guys had it rough. What's going to happen when 30, 40 years from now, people look at what went on in the Iraq War and go, wow, those guys had it rough? I can't imagine that. Like, there's no way we had it anywhere close to as bad as those guys did in those previous well, even wars. Even look at to the guys that were a few years before us. They were rolling around with no body armor, with no up- – I mean, dude, that's crazy. They were rolling – we had body armor, like, from day one – like maybe what one rotation before us they had soft side humvees yeah, no soft, armor yeah no chocolate chip uniforms yep, chocolate chips <laughs> old k-pot no doors they pulled the doors off they're running they're running flak vests from vietnam which provided like no ballistic pr- protection whatsoever maybe frag from a hand grenade that'd be luck, if you're lucky i mean so even if you take it one rotation removed they had it much harder than we did now imagine 1946 these guys are running around with you know no armor k-pots that you know didn't stop anything so i'd love to get him on and just a conversation and just i mean that i think that's so much information it's so important because that's information that is not going to be here for much longer that you can hear from the horse's mouth you're only going to be able to read about it so i guess it's it's important to mention that yeah even though we are complaining about hero worship hero worship is a thing though because yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a store or something, and I've seen a, a World War II veteran with a hat on, you know, World War II, especially right. if they were on a battleship. You know, they usually have the battleship listed on their mm-hmm. on their hat mm-hmm. that they were served on. And uh, I can't tell you how many times that I've gone a little fanboy and go up to those guys and go, look, I really appreciate what you did. And uh, it was a very different time. I mean, it when really you've got was. this veteran that's, you know, 90 years old, I mean, think about all the experiences that he's had in his entire lifetime. So it, it doesn't become, you know, just, oh, this guy was in World War II. He's done much more than World War II. He's lived an entire life and has an entire life of experiences that serving in World War II was just the, like the bedrock of. And he has had an entire life of interesting stories. Like Mr. Overton mm-hmm. uh, was, you know, gosh, was he 108 or 107? Very close. He was he was very, the world, world's close, oldest yes. World War II veteran, Mr. Overton yeah. was, and he passed away recently. Ate but from steak what I understand, and drank bourbon every day. <laughs> yeah. What I understand, a very, very, very colorful and interesting fellow. So mm-hmm. I could imagine the, uh, the stories that he probably had. And I hope that people share those stories with folks because people like Mr. Overton are, you know, li- uh, at, at the time were definitely living national treasures. Yeah. And I think our- they're actually making his home. A national landmark now, and the, and that that'd be the right thing to do. And I think it's our responsibility as the the younger generation moving forward to try to to try to extrapolate as much information as we can right now while we while we can. Because by the time think about it, in ten years, there's not going to be any living person that that went through that. And all we're going to have is you know books. And I'd much rather try to get as much as that information from them as possible just because you can't really replicate that type of experience in in book form you can't my Um, pops you know used to uh, talk about the great depression and living through the great depression yep and one of my biggest regrets is not having more recorded audio or video of him telling his stories about living through the great depression and living through prohibition i mean he, he told me some really cool stories about prohibition 
Maybe that's some stories for another day that I'll share. But for now, um, that's been our Hero Worship episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Let me know uh, if there's a certain type of subject you guys want to hear about. We'll definitely make an effort to try to, you know, get whatever type of subject matter in that you'd like to hear. Uh, You know, we certainly really, really enjoy these podcasts, and we hope you guys like them. And uh, you got anything else, Matt? Uh, Yeah, before we uh, get out of here, I just want to circle back and talk to any of you veterans out there that are listening. Um, you know, when I when I said that, you know, you're not broken. Um, if you're in Atlanta and you need any type of uh, health issue, like mental health or anything like that with PTSD, reach out to the main VA office. They have something called the trauma uh, trauma recovery program. It's the fastest and quickest way to get in front of a mental health professional. Um, literally, you can have it that day or the next day. There's no hoops to jump through. You walk in, tell them you want to go to the TRP. They'll set you up with a, with an appointment that day. And guys, it's uh, it really helps. Um, you don't have to go through life uh, without any type of help. It's there. Um, and you know, I encourage you to do that. I've used it myself personally. Um, it's, it's at your fingertips. I I don't know if any other cities, if you're listening, uh, in different cities, but in Atlanta, uh, it's at the main VA hospital on Memorial drive. It's TRP, the trauma recovery program. Uh, and they will definitely get you hooked up. Yeah, guys, I'll just add to that. Uh, if you're a veteran or even if you're law enforcement or, or, uh, you know, first responder who's seen some really bad stuff in your service, uh, you're not alone, okay? You know, talk to somebody. Reach out to people. There are lots of your fellow veterans who understand what you've been going through, and if you need someone to talk to, please don't neglect it. Uh, too many of our veterans, especially, uh, commit suicide every single day, and that's unacceptable. We have to be there for each other, and we have to help you reintegrate yourself into a normal society. And, and trust me, we've all been there Especially the younger you are, the harder it is because you're still in a very confused time of your life and it's hard uh, to know what you want to do with your life. And then you've just experienced this you know, crazy deployment. So we completely understand where you're coming from. Please find somebody to talk to. It's really, really important. Uh, we need you here. We need, we need that perspective. We need you to be strong. You're not broken. You know, Just because you've had a rough patch, life will go on and life will be rewarding. So we hope that if you are a veteran and you're listening, just know that we care about you and we want you to get any help you may need if you've been through a rough patch. Uh, you're not alone, okay? Guys, thanks for tuning in to Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit. Uh, we hope you enjoy our podcast. Please leave us a nice review. If it's not a nice review, send us an email and we can maybe find out why it's not a nice review. But if you love the podcast, please leave us a review. Subscribe to our podcast. Also, make sure you go check out Iraq Veteran 8888 on YouTube. Go over to BallisticInc.com. Pick yourself up some snazzy t-shirts. We'd be most appreciative. So this has been Life, Labor, and Pursuit yet again, and we'll see you soon. Anything else, Matt? That is it. Great show. Thanks, guys. All right. Have a good one, y'all. Yeah.